Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Why the Cast Man, a podcast all about Why the Last Man on FX on Hulu. I'm Alex. Justin. And as mentioned, we are going to be talking about Why the Last Man, specifically Season 1, Episode 2, Would the World Be Kind? Now, all three episodes dropped on day one on FX on Hulu. So chances are you've already watched ahead. But just in case not, we are going to be spoiling the episode. We're going to be jumping right into it and talking about it. So go watch it on Hulu, not on FX. It's not actually on FX. It's just FX yeah. on Hulu. It's like all Russian uh, you find doll FX, situation. Find Hulu. It's a little tricky. Yeah, it's yes. a little dance you have to do. But you can figure we're it here out. for it. Exactly. You're, yeah, we're smart. You're smart. Mm-hmm. Be smart. <laughs> so before we get into, we will do some very mild recap for this episode before we talk about the big points. But I'm curious to hear from you, Justin. We were not in totally opposite directions about the first episode, but certainly you were much more positive and I was much more negative. And I think ultimately on some points we met in the middle on it. But how would you feel now two episodes in? What's your impression? My positivity is increasing. I thought this <laughs> episode was better than the than the pilot. Um, and I like the pilot, like I said. Uh, I think the, the character focus is really smart. This show is very smart about the way it shows us information. They don't over-explain things. Uh, I know we're going to talk about it, but an example like the little like fob that 355 presses at the beginning. It's like, well, what is that? And then you find out it's sort of the the tracker back with her um, secret headquarters of the Culper Ring um, uh, part that she's a part of. And it's just like a cool little thing. And they, there's a lot of examples of that throughout the episode that I thought they're letting us find this story um, as they're presenting it. And the character stuff was good. Good reveals. I, I'm psyched. I'm getting more excited. <laughs> and I'm curious I, about you. Are you joining me in the fun parade? Or are you, you know, going to go back to Downersville? I'm probably on the border of Downersville still today. You know, I'm not fully. Here we I'm not, go. Listen, I haven't put down stakes or anything like that. I'm not running for mayor of Downersville. Uh, but there are some promising things, I think, about this episode. Some big character moves. There's some nice things that happen. There's definitely, like you said, a faster pace. It's about 45 minutes long versus the hour long of the first episode. So I think that definitely just inherently helps it pick up a little bit more. But I still want to get out of the mode of post-apocalypse TV shows that I've seen before. Like, this is a different concept. This is not just a viral pandemic. This is not the world of the walking dead where people turn into zombies. This is half the population disappears and we are starting to deal with some of those things, but it doesn't feel to me inherently different from a lot of those other shows that I've seen that that is in essence, the main thing that's holding me back right now is it looks like a lot of shows I've seen before. It feels like a lot of shows I've seen before. So even if there's things that I liked about it, I wanted to show me something fresh and new. And, and there are parts of that, there. There are characters that are definitely popping a little bit more in this episode. Uh, and I think we're also past, in a good way, that tension that we talked about with the first episode of, 
when are we going to get to the fireworks factory of when are the men going to die? Here, we're past That's what I always think of as the fireworks factories. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, the Simpsons thing, where... <laughs> the Simpsons thing where they're yeah, watching no, the Poochie. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, there's the uh, Itchy and Poochie and Scratchy episode, and they're going to introduce this new character, Poochie. And Itchy and Scratchy keep driving and driving and driving and getting closer until Milhouse finally says, When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? And there's all these signs for the fireworks factory, which is the important part that I didn't actually mention. Uh, right. So I think, I think even about if like, you Even if you don't know that Simpsons reference, we can all still understand the fun of going to a. An explosives factory um, sure. and enjoy ourselves there. Yeah. So um, it totally tracks the analogy And I'll tell you what, I using. think the end of this episode gets to the fireworks factory. It gets to the thing that we kind of wanted to see. Uh, can I talk about like a little bit of a spoiler from the comic book? It's not much of a spoiler I, because I think people are going to know it's going to come so. anyway. Is the majority of the book is not this post-apocalypse mode of like, God, what's going on in the world? What's happened? What are our lives like now? It's... Yorick and 355 going on a road adventure. Like, that's the majority of the book. And it changes and it morphs from there. And there's a lot of things that get in their way. But that's this almost definitely comes from my expectation of the book. But that's what I want to see. I don't need to see the lead up. I need to see the fun of these two characters getting together and going on the road. And that's what we finally get a tease of here as they finally come together. So that makes me very excited for the next episode um, and where we're going to go in the show going forward. But this has been a lot of lead up to that point, I guess I'd say. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think FX on Hulu um, is smart um, mm-hmm. in that they, uh, they have, they dropped these three episodes. I haven't yet watched the third one. Um, so I can only assume that the way the pace that they're using throughout the second episode, I feel like we're going to get to the, what you're asking for here is that the separation uh, from this and the walking dead, and whatever uh, that you're maybe concerned about a little bit. I feel like we're getting that. And maybe by the end of the third episode, it's going to be at that place where it's like, here's the, the flag is in this show. And here's how it's different from all these other ones. Absolutely. Now, very quick recap, since we are starting to get into some plot points here in this episode, it picks up the day after or actually immediately afterwards. Everybody's freaking out. Ultimately, As we expected here, Jennifer becomes the de facto president of the United States, a job that initially she seems very unsuited for. But I I think by the end of the episode, she really seems to be stepping up into the role and making the hard decisions that come along with that title. Meanwhile, you got 355 revealing that she's with the thing called the Culver Ring, which is a secret society that works directly for the president. Culper. Culper. Culper, Culper, I believe. Culper, yes, you're right. Uh, She discovers that the rest of her ring probably is dead at this point, and she gets sent off in search of Hero, who is the president's daughter. Instead, she finds Yorick in her apartment and takes him back. Nobody knows what to do exactly to do with that. Meanwhile, Hero is not in her apartment because she's doing two things. One, she's hanging out with her friend Sam, who is in an enclave of some of the trans men who are still alive in New York, who have a horde of testosterone. He ends up waiting for Hero. Sam ends up waiting for Hero uh, and missing them. They leave with pretty much all of the testosterone. So she convinces her, uh, he convinces her, excuse me, to take him to see the president to get more testosterone, which is the main source, I think, of testosterone yes, in the world. Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden is sitting on a lot of testosterone, right? Absolutely. Now. Just uh, that's our strategic close, testosterone reserve. Not a lot yeah. of people know this. I only know this because I went to DC, but the White House is actually tiny little bottles of testosterone 
piled on top of each other. It's built out of that. hundred percent. A lot of people don't know, actually, testosterone is um, uh, sort of a lot like oil is pulled out of the ground. So you got to find there's a huge uh, deposit mm-hmm. of testosterone beneath the White House that they just, you know, pump out every now and again. Did you hear about this was crazy, this testosterone spill that happened off Alaska a couple of years back and they got to the beach and there's just these like jacked penguins jacked. <laughs> bunch of penguins lifting weights listening to white snake or <laughs> it's dangerous really threatening for the environment so hero ends up heading off with sam but in the meantime what she's been doing in manhattan which is being evacuated because it's a disaster area at this point and they can't do sinking. anything about it sinking sinkhole yeah total sinkhole we know from riverdale also that sinkholes they just happen sometimes in Manhattan. It's just a thing. You know, and I don't want to get into the sinkholes as like just like my knowledge of them. But mm-hmm. we had a sinkhole near my house when I was growing up. And it was a real deal thing. Everyone had to <laughs> really? be like, hey, you can't go. You can't go there. There's a sinkhole. And the way it's sort of in that vibe of quicksand where it's like you don't. It's like, oh, that seems scary. But is it? <laughs> Because quicksand, I'm like, well, you could just sort of get out of it, right? Yeah. But sinkhole, I grew up where a sinkhole was a danger. It's like, stay away from the sinkhole. Yeah, you don't know how deep a sinkhole is. You could just be falling forever or fall to the other side of the world, which is That's fun. Right. That's how it is fun. That's how often I would end up, uh, if I had a school project on China, I would just <laughs> yell into the sinkhole and get my answer. <laughs> yell back and be like, yeah, 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 it's called the Great Wall. Thanks for I asking. Think- you. It was early days of the internet, so yeah, <laughs> yes. there was no Wikipedia. Uh, anyway, Hero, meanwhile, is she heads over to a FEMA center uh, where they are basically reconnecting people with their dead loved ones because bodies are all over the place, and she accidentally maybe bumps into the wife and child of the guy she was boinking. In the ambulance, goes Boink. back, gets his ID. I was trying to not curse there. Uh, gets the ID and Good. brings Good it work. back to the wife, and she's like, "Oh, you were the guy that he was. Uh, she, he was stupid." And what are you? What are you, Graham? Were you my grandma? Trying to just I'm Jackie Mason. Tell me the plot. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, Jackie Mason, host of the podcast. Anyway, so that's mostly what's going on with everybody. I think that kind of recaps it. Who? Let's start with Hero because I think this is a pretty intriguing storyline that's going on here, something that we definitely don't have in the comic book and is definitely not fleshed out, so it feels wholly original. How'd you feel about Hero in this episode and what she was going through? Uh, I thought it was good. Um, I liked how they were, um, again, like pretty chill with the information. The the coincidental nature of her bumping into that woman was like, that's a little suspect, but I also think you could chalk it up to she's been hanging around that place Mm -hmm. Uh, because she's not waiting to find anyone. Um, ostensibly Yorick, but why would she go there to find Yorick and not go to his apartment, which has like a bunch of spray painted signs like, I'm fine, find me. I'm <laughs> or here. her own apartment so, where he was. He, he also goes to, yeah. So I do think she was there looking for that woman um, out of the guilt that she's feeling from straight up murdering um, the dude uh, by accident. Um, right, coincidentally, right before all men were murdered by germs. Uh and and that scene I, I liked. It was played played cool. And then I especially liked this the bit afterwards where where the woman is like, "Thank you. Um, at least I wasn't crazy." Like that mm-hmm. is that's such a smart way to play that I thought. And then the hero and Sam stuff I also thought was great. Like really, the the way Sam was talking about like 
I finally ha had this place in New York where I felt like I could just be, and now that's all gone. And I thought that was just like a very sharp take on what this would be, something that has been added since the comic book days um, that I, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I I agree. I think this is a bigger comment about this episode. But one of the things that I did like about it in particular that I believe we discussed on the last podcast episode is they're doing a good job here. And this is the most obvious mode for them to be in, but they're doing a good job here and really driving down on how gender roles may or may not be different after all of the men disappear. You know, there's a lot of different aspects of that, and that's a huge subject to potentially tackle. We'll obviously see in the long term how successful they are or not, but there are little things there that I do think really work, like the moment that you're pointing out with Hero, reconnecting with the woman that she was not cheating on, but cheating... Uh, with her husband on cheating around, cheating around, <laughs> cheating adjacent, and that with the men gone, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, you just you yeah. have to move past it. Another way, and this is jumping into another storyline again, not particularly subtle, but the nice note of having the first episode. Jennifer criticize her assistant's appearance and be like, you have chip nails, you can't have chip nails. We have to look perfect every moment. You cut to that second episode and everybody is in their sweats and dressed as comfortably as possible in the situation room because that's all they can handle except for Andrew Tamblin's character, Kimber, uh, who is still dressing up, still holding on to everything that happened before there, same as she does throughout her character. Yeah. And like, it's a good use of like short telling that visual story with like getting dressed with a zipper that you have to have someone else zip up, which I thought was a great little, like, remember this is, she's the kind of person that mm -hmm. would have uh, her husband zip her in and out of the, her outfits. I thought it was cool. Now she's struggling with it. Uh, and then to have her go to the president to try to uh, make sure the sperm bank is getting power, I thought was another like clinging, looking backwards when everyone else is like, Hey, but we need to survive now, and then we can worry about moving forward. Um, uh, so, I, and I, but she's right in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like she is thinking about a specific thing. Um, that well, I'm I was sure... going to say, in particular, even though she is clearly not the good guy character on this show, you know, they're not even yeah. trying to paint her that way. That she's arguably thinking even farther forward than anybody else, because once. Yeah. They hopefully get past this disaster. How do they repopulate the world if they're managed to figure out what caused this virus, if it is a virus, um, if they're managed to keep men alive going forward, if they are to be born? Like, that's months, years down the road, potentially, but that is something that needs to be done. And if there is zero sperm available, that's just not going to happen. Like, not... There's also the thing that they don't necessarily address here of the same thing happened to all the animals. So is there you know, a pig sperm bank somewhere that they got to get some power to as well. That's what I want to see addressed in episode three. Yeah, the, the part of Charlotte's Web where um, Wilbur was really focused on getting the sperm into the sperm bank was always as a kid, I was like, what, what is this pig sperm yeah. bank they keep referencing? Here? What is he spelling, mommy? <laughs> <laughs> I would ask. <laughs> sperm, make a deposit in the sperm bank. Charlotte. Why are you Where driving you this, pig? this is for kids. That's the thing. People don't think about this, but those books we read for kids, they have a lot of real raunchy stuff in them. hundred percent. And, you know, back in the day, we used to expose kids to that stuff. And now we're like Peppa Pig rarely talks about going to the sperm bank. Uh, you know what I think it is? Show. I think it's cancel culture, to be honest with you. It's cancel culture. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think 
<laughs> yeah, we've erased big sperm banks from our culture. <laughs> it's crazy. I, even, I can't even remember the last time I've talked about Listen, we started being banks. really understanding about gender about five minutes ago, and now we've got wildly out of control, and uh, that's fine. It's podcast. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what happens. So the other part of hero storyline, though, that we should talk to just to get back to that is Sam and everything that's going on with these other trans men. I like the little detail of them all wearing masks, kind of like how Yorick does, though that they all have animal masks going on. Um, But what did you think as we get a little bit more into the storyline here? How are they? And I I say this as we are two straight men, so certainly if there are any uh, trans uh, men or women in the audience who are listening, if we get any details wrong, please call us on it, uh, 100%. Yeah. But how do you feel about the storyline as it develops? Uh, I like. I mean, we haven't really seen much of it. I think there's going to be um, a lot more to come, uh, assuming that Hero and Sam stay together, uh, stay traveling together. Uh, the biggest thing that I took away from it is how, because the comic was written without consideration of that, really, mm-hmm. that so much of the plot mechanic was built around someone just seeing Yorick and being like, that's a man. Mm-hmm. And now that's just... A, that was wrong then. That was like a uh, limited, uh, limited viewpoint then. And now in this show, it's like, I don't know going forward how they're going to do that. In this episode, the way to get around that is by having him jump into some dead body suit and then have to be naked <laughs> to find, uh, find new clothes. And he's spotted because they're literally like, that is a penis. Mm-hmm. And I don't, that's not going to work every time. He can't keep accidentally being naked <laughs> to be spotted. Cause so much of it, he and 355's journey in the comic was like running from people who are seeing him as a man and trying to control him or get him or whatever. So that was the takeaway. I think that's such a, it's a smart, you, it's something you have to show mm-hmm. um, how it's different now. And it has always been different, but it was just ignored. And how it just made me worried for the writer's room, how they're going to be like, okay, how is Yorick going to be exposed this time? (laughs) Right. Oh, no, there was a fan too close to him and it sucked off his pants. But even with that, even with that, you know, we don't know what level of surgery or anything trans men were at or across the board. There's variation there. So I do think to this point that we're saying about the story level only – that moment with Yorick naked in the dry cleaners, probably not for the characters in it, but as a viewer, the power of it was a little diffused and the tension of it was diffused just because we already had seen so many men earlier in the episode, you know? So yeah. I, th- I think there'll still be danger for Yorick, but it definitely changes the, if not the core concept, the core execution of how they're going to get yeah. the show. So it'll be interesting to continue to watch. Yeah, uh, definitely. But I, I, again, I, so based on what I've seen so far, especially in this episode, the writing is smart. I think they're mm-hmm. going to be able to find sort of ride the wave around those moments and get to the big plot points from the comic that and set pieces that are, were so fun. Yeah. It's funny. They, them showing not to belabor this point and then we can move on to something else, but them showing more care and understanding with the trans storyline is, uh, diffusing, I, I just use this word, but diffusing Yorick's storyline a little bit, you know, like yeah. it's, it's changing the balance of the show. And I do think, frankly, that's part of the point down to pushing the female characters to the forefront as well. So there definitely is this, 
bent across the board to make this a more inclusive show, a more understanding of gender diversity show than the comic necessarily was, even though the comic still very good. We're not slamming the comic in any way. No. Uh, who else do we need to talk about? We touched on the situation in Washington a little bit. Very happy to see some resource management going on. My favorite thing. So I was very excited about yeah. that. More of those uh, scenes, please. Yeah, I know. I got to know how they're um, keeping the corn growing in Omaha. Maybe that's what the Omaha office of the Culper Ring, the oh. 355, talks to is concerned with keeping the corn kernels popping. So this gets to do an interesting thing, though, about 355 is she was sent to Washington on a mission, was not told what that mission was, and then everything went down. I sort of expected when she headed back to the office to see if anybody was alive, that we'd find out more about this mission, and we didn't. Is is this something that we're potentially going to find out more about go, going down the road, or did the end of the world just stop that and throw that storyline to the wayside? Uh, I think it'll definitely come into play. It'd be To me, it would be crazy to bring it up again mm-hmm. in this episode if it weren't going to be a, a mystery that will continue to unfold. So I think the, there still is going to be a plot against the president. Um, and now it's just Diane Lane instead of, um, the random dude who was there in, in episode one. And we have a couple mystries. Um, there's that and agent three, five, five pulls out that address, um, mm-hmm. from an envelope that she takes from her, her culprit ring headquarters. Uh, agent three, five, five has a lot of like, you know, story tentacles out there. So I'm excited to see those unfold. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 355 continues to be my absolute favorite part of the show, to be frank. Yeah, she is killing it. Her storylines are so interesting. By default, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the resource management, which I know is very particular to me, but I realize West Wing and the post-apocalypse is maybe not quite as interesting as spy stuff just on an inherent level. And she gets the best storylines, the most fun, at least in these first two episodes. But she's also killing it and completely crushing the way the character is for the comic book. So very excited to see her going forward and also interacting with Yorick, who, as we get to spend a lot more time with him this episode, going through what you call the dead body soup, he is a quipster. He's a nonstop, just joking machine, even in the middle of the dire circumstances. And that's going to be interesting to see the two of them clash. Well, and I think we need, they need each other. This show needs them to be together. Cause watching York in this episode, I was like, Jesus, this guy, he's like sitting on the subway platform, looking at old videos of his ex next to truly got, has to be one of the stinkiest, oh, messiest, God. grossest things in the world. Waiting for his monkey to swim home. That's a low point <laughs> for a guy. That's a low point for anyone. Yeah. So he, he needs and the, and all the joking he's doing while he's got a gun pointed at him naked and uh, full of subway stink. I do think he and three five five. I'm really hoping when we actually get to see them together, we'll have this interplay where they can really play off each other, and the show can elevate toward that relationship. Yeah. Uh, last one that I wanted to talk about, and I know we touched on it before, but Amber Tamblin's Kimber. Uh, like I mentioned, I love the moment of her just getting dressed up and talking to the president. But I also think this is a really interesting thing to throw in here that I also am nervous about, like we talked about on the first episode of the podcast. But having somebody who is holding on to politics as usual in the middle of the post-apocalypse, that's definitely something you see in zombie movies, mind you. There's somebody who's like, no, we got to go back to the old ways. And that's sort of her yeah. position here. But 
it's a very different bent because she is Meg McCain <laughs> going in and doing yeah. this. So it gives it a little bit of a different flavor, at least. I don't know that I want to see still conservative versus liberal politics in the middle of all of everything that's going on here. But at the very least, she's playing the heck out of it. And the way that she tentatively approaches the president, but is completely out of her depth when she's talking to Jennifer was a really interesting scene to watch. Well, and even here, I think they are doing a good job of moving past just that uh, our politics uh, paradigm. Like the scene before leading up to her visiting the president when she is um, seeing kids playing. And you can tell that she personally just wants that. And, um, and that's what's driving her toward getting the, making sure that they're preserving the sperm banks. So like I, I, I saw this through the character lens and I thought it was nice. And then uh, sort of on the other side, we get her mom who, who shows up and wants to drink with the president. And she's like sort of has the opposite side of uh, what Kimber is talking about. She's like, I just want to bury my son and then drink myself to death. So let, can we just do that? And the president's like, uh, sort of a low priority here. Um, she's like given up on everything and just wants to let it all fall away. So I, I hope we get to keep these characters. because I think their voices in Diane Lane, uh, President Brown's ear will be an interesting sort of uh, circle to see play out. On the other hand, we get somebody who is not brought into her inner circle this episode, who I'm even blanking on the name of the character, but the lady with the red hair shows up at the gate yes. and is like, hey, let me in. And they're like, nope. And that's pretty much it for her. Yeah. What is going on with her character right now? Why is she here in the show? I don't know. Um, I think based on her being pissed that she's not in the circle i feel like she's going to be a potentially a rival uh for uh, president brown um and someone who's gonna when she does finally get i'm assuming she will get to the center of things um is going to be a problem i think she has big uh what was her name from uh the boys ashley the, yeah uh, the, yeah the, ashley the, the assistant the assistant. She has big Ashley, the assistant energy from from the boys. If you're not watching that show, another great show um, sort of in this uh, world. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see. I like that we just saw her for this little bit. She's another sort of mystery piece that I think um, it's I don't also know weird to me, though that they wouldn't bring her in. You had figured you want all hands on deck, right? And as far as I can tell, she was the chief of staff, probably to the last president. Yes. So why would they be like, nah, not interested. We don't need, we don't need you. You seem incapable. That's crazy. There's no reason for it whatsoever. I, I agree. But, but I do think they're like, ah, we, nobody likes her. I think. So they're not like, sure. give me that opinion. But I think there's a chance that she may be – the reason she's trying so hard to get back in there could be just like general, I want power in my life. That's because we see the scene in episode one where she's at the gun range. She like likes shooting that gun. So I do think there's something there. But it makes me think she may be part of the uh, attempt of on the president's life mm-hmm. that 355 was brought in to deal with. And that would explain why she's trying so hard to get back in there following some orders still, even though the world ended to now attack this president. Yeah. Before we start to wrap up here, any other moments from the episode that you want to call out? Anything that stood out to you? Um, the one line, well, I like that, um, uh, before I get to that, York leaves a little candy tip, uh, the dry cleaners, mm-hmm. just a little Snickers, um, since Ampersand just uh, wasn't having it. He's like, thanks for not shooting me. Here's a and let me be honest, a fun-sized Snickers? No. You love Snickers, though, Upgrade. Right? 
I love Snickers. Snickers satisfies. I will say, though, we, I love Snickers in uh, relation to a, a candy-based podcast we did. I actually very rarely eat Snickers because buying a Snickers to me is like, good night. <laughs> it's like ordering shots at the bar. Like, that actually I'm reminds me of something that I wanted to bring up in the first episode that I completely forgot to mention. So we did another podcast about Sweet Tooth on Netflix called Candy Men. People can check that out. They can listen to it. These are two comic book-based post-apocalyptic TV shows based on beloved books that have come out pretty Mm -hmm. much at the same time and, in my mind, take wildly different approaches to... There's not just their source material, but more importantly, to a pandemic end of the world situation. And we interviewed the showrunner of Sweet Tooth, and he said very specifically that when they were approaching the end of the world idea, they were like, you know what? People know what this is. They've seen this before. Let's move past this. Let's get to the story. That seems to be the exact opposite direction that Why the Last Man is taking, where instead they're vastly fleshing out this this portion of the story before they get to the main portion of the story we know from the comic book. So it's just interesting. I mean, obviously, we have a difference of opinion here in terms of how the show is hitting us, but maybe this is why I prefer something like a Sweet Tooth better, because it gets past that and it just uses it as part of the tapestry of what's going on in the show, versus here in Why the Last Man, it's the most important thing right now. Well, but I would argue that's uh, because of the very different premises of the show. Like, mm-hmm. Sweet Tooth is built around an apocalypse happens, and then we are dealing with the aftermath. It was less important um, what caused the apocalypse and how shit got figured out. It was just like, everything's bad, now let's follow the story. When I think Why the Last Man, at least in these first two episodes, it's sort of like, what would happen if, you know, a little, if half the population died? And then you get the gender the gender line across that as well. I do think we need to deal with that. Like, it's interesting to be like, oh, what would happen? Like, there mm-hmm. was a, like there was eight days where shit got bad. And then by day 63, it's like, hey, we're still, phones are working. So th- things are doing all right. <laughs> and I think, is, that, is there a comment there? Is that something we can talk about? Like, I like exploring that world a little bit. And it does feel, to me, it does feel different than The Walking Dead. It feels a little cooler, a little smarter in the way they're telling the, the stories when The Walking Dead was like, they're dead. Look, look at this. It's all dead. <laughs> and it's like, this is a little bit more we can, because we're not, we're not dwelling on the horror of it too much. It's more about sort of how Other, other than the bodysuit, but that's more of a fun moment. Go, that's yeah. honestly uh, New like, York City. Yeah. I, or were you going to say typical New York City subway experience? Like there's literally videos <laughs> from last week of people doing exactly. that. So. <laughs> I walk through dead bodies on a daily basis. Yeah. That's how you get to work, man. In the winter, we all have dead body suit for lunch uh, when we're working in the city. I like to go downtown. There's up. a really nice place that makes some dead body ramen that, oh, real good. Uh, very good. Uh, dead body chowder is a little heavy for my taste. Um, but Summertime, dead body gazpacho. Very refreshing. Could not agree more. Before we wrap up here, oh, did you have oh, more wait, moments? I, I, yeah. I have two more, two things to call out. I thought the line um, from the, uh, that's floating around, I think, when Hero's going to the um, FEMA spot, dark time in their nation's history, all that. I feel like they specifically chose that language from our recent pandemic here, and it was stressful to hear. Um, but it felt a little deliberate, uh, sort of a little bit of a trigger there. And then um, one other thing I wanted to call out as like, hmm, interesting. We see when he's when Leoric's in the laundromat or in the dry cleaners um, that he's got the ring hanging from his neck. And I feel like that was 
I'm deliberate and I'm curious what this ring, the value of the ring, this is the wedding ring that he was going to, engagement ring that he was going to uh, give to Beth. I'm curious if that is a factor in this television show. I agree. It'll be interesting to track. Okay, let's get to our final section here, which is who's the man? Who's the man in this episode? Yes. Justin? I think you should go first. Um, oh, this I should time go first? Because I know what you're going to say, so I wanted to give you the option to say it this oh, time. Oh, no, no. You don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Hero, actually, was the bad on this really? episode. Yeah, I thought she was really good. I was interested watching her storyline. Um, I think the acting was interesting, and I'm curious to see what happens with this character because, again, we didn't get to see quite as much of her in the comic book, so it does feel very fresh and new. Justin, what about you? Wow. You really caught me off guard I've with that changed. answer. Uh, you have changed because I was going to say hero. And uh, I think, though, I want to throw it out to um, Kimber, to uh, to Amber Tamblin's character, because it's a very small little moment here. But um, I do think it was played well and played smartly. And I like the idea that this character is not just going to be a Megan McCain placeholder and will have a little bit more depth and maybe more to contribute than just like, I think we should be conservative here. <laughs> All right. That's a good note to wrap up on. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about why the last man at comic book live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, why the cast, man? Why? Why the cast, man? Why? Get to eat your dead body soup. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs>